When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. PHLY Flyers. That's right, PHLY. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the morning. That's right. We are here bright and early here on uh, this Tuesday morning, and I am joined. I have him in person. He's not going to disappear. Philadelphia's number one beat reporter, Charlie O'Connor. Charlie, it's nice. It's nice to see you and be able to hear you. Can, I can think. you can you hear me? Can ah, you hear me this time? Shit. Well, that's that's a, <laughs> that's a personal problem, really, more than anything. But yes, I can actually hear you today. Yes. Uh, apologies for last night's post game. It was uh, if it was frustrating for you. Imagine being on the camera during that time <laughs> and think maybe, you know. Anyway, we are here, and uh, Flyers have been killing it lately. So I wanted to start with last night's game because it was despite the lack of scoring i thought like pretty entertaining it was an exciting game it, like, it was definitely more exciting than the saturday game yes like saturday's game the third period was fun yes but this game was back and forth the whole game a lot more scoring chances just a lot more of the kind of game that you expected to see from the flyers and penguins even though there weren't a ton of goals that's the like flyers penguins hockey yes was defined by the asinine amount of penalties, brawls, just like stupid, like slap shot esque BS that went on during them. But also, there would be like eleven goals, yeah, right. And someone, someone won six to five. Like, who's to say? Uh, and that's just kind of the way it was. And we're just seeing totally different hockey out of these teams. But last night was a little bit more of that back. I mean, I had Travis Konechny to score and. Two assists are nice and he all. He did but everything except He score. went 0 for 2 on breakaways. <laughs> like, I don't know, bro. Maybe put one of them in. It's, it's Alex Najelkovic the, the <laughs> in that. It's not exactly Hasek. But uh, I want to start with a guy who we spent some time on earlier. I, know, I guess it was last week at this point. Sean Couturier. Because uh, I asked you, like, if, if that, the second, sixth, and first finishes of Couturier's Selkie voting career the last few years like if that was his a plus game where he was around a point a game thought of as one of the better two-way guys what is he right now you know these 20 or so games since he's been back and you were like solid b b plus yeah and i think i'd agree with that but just seeing him last night kind of i i mean he scores the the uh shootout winner on saturday then last night finishes off the play to uh, win it in overtime. But what really stuck out to me, we talked about how his face-offs have been not the 56% guy that we came to know at the uh, end of the Giroux era. Yeah. Wins a defensive zone face-off against pretty good face-off guy. He's okay. Like, not bad. Sidney Crosby, like, probably should have won every Selkie for the last <laughs> 10 years. But, like... He's not bad. Yeah, like, wins that defensive zone draw and then goes the length of the ice and finishes off the play... I was just very – that was as vintage Couturier as we could ask for. What did you think about him last night? Yeah, I, I think he's – it honestly surprised me how many people were 
in my mentions during Saturday's game saying that Katuri doesn't look very good and there was one play i think it was in the first period where he lost a puck race and i think that just kind of stuck in people's heads he's always been slow he, he looked slow on that play and there were a few passes that he misfired on but on the whole watching that line that he's been on with uh with tyson forrester and, and travis connecty it just seems like they always have the puck in the offensive zone and this is sean gaturi sean gaturi has never been an elite offense driver in terms of creativity even at his peak, like, yeah, he would have that ability to pop up, you know, right when, right, right when Claude Drew would be wheeling through the offensive zone, Couturier would pop himself in a dangerous area and then score because Claude Drew was an amazing playmaker and Couturier has amazing hockey sense. But Sean Couturier has never been a guy who just is, creates scoring chances for himself no, that's not, at will. Yeah. That's not his game. So I think, honestly, some of the, the consternation about Couturier is in part because people forgot that Couturier isn't this dominant offensive weapon he he produces points and he creates offense mostly out of volume not in the volume sense of he's just shooting pucks like crazy but in the volume sense of they're always in the offensive zone when he's on the ice and that's the reason like Claude Giroux an excellent offensive zone player also was never a hundred point guy yeah and then he gets put with Couturier it's like guess what you don't have to do all the neutral zone work and we're going to get you in the offensive zone all the time. And now both of you have the opportunity. Like, Sean Couturier is not a 76-point player, probably. Yeah. But, like, when he's with G or someone like that, he is. And that was – it's good to see that coming back. But, it, like, you talked about the line with Forster and uh, and Konechny. And it just feels like right now, every time the Flyers look a little sleepy, and then all of a sudden, like, ooh, all right, a good shift. Let's get some momentum going. I look up, and it's like – yeah, 11 just won a puck battle and then got the puck in front and we had two scoring chances and now the Flyers are finally on offense. I, I do wonder with Couturier, and this will be an interesting thing, I think, to track over the his 30s, you know, as he, he continues to age. It seems like he's probably going to be part of this. I mean, he's got a no movement clause. If he doesn't want to leave, he ain't leaving. But I, I think back to the game he played against the Oilers, against McDavid. And that was, in my mind, one of his best games of the year. That was tremendous. Then you had these, especially the game he played last night against Sidney Crosby's matchup against Crosby plays really well. I do wonder, and I'm not saying that he is, you know, he's he's half-assing it when he plays against weaker teams. But I do wonder if there is an element of, I'm in my 30s. I can't give 100% of everything I want to give every night. So maybe I save it a little bit for when I'm against these top tier players and maybe it's unconscious or maybe it, there's a little bit of consciousness where, hey, I know I can't I, I can't expend the reserves against, you know, the Blue Jackets because I got to save it up for when I got to go head toe to toe with Sidney Crosby. And the, totally fair. And like, I want to talk about the rivalry between these teams in just a minute. But like watching Crosby say in a scrum like there were no scrums last night and it's the back end of a back-to-back -back. like I was walking out of the uh, of the stadium last night and I just hear this Penguins fan mom talking to her son she's like we look old mm. it's like that's the best that's what yeah. the Penguins look like, like yeah. you know who's not expending any extra energy like Sidney Crosby is not getting in a fight He's like, no, yeah. no, I don't have the energy yeah, for right. that. I'm a 36. Benny <laughs> like, Malkin still looks dangerous. He also looks like an old fucking man. Yeah. Like that team is just like, yeah, we're not doing all that shit we did in our 20s. Yeah. Like, it's just not happening. And I can't imagine Sean Couturier, who's been doing this with them since he was a teenager and is now like a grown ass man. He probably feels the same way. Like, nah, we're not. We're not do I'm not cross-checking Malkin just so he can cross-check me back. Like that's that's foolish. Yeah, I don't. My back hurts. There, 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 there was a day when yeah. I would have done that. Yeah, but not like, today. And that like I just feel like that's kind of like the part of Couturier's career he's in as well now. And and, and it's yeah. Why you know what if if Owen Tippett can't lead this team to victory over the Blue Jackets, then Owen Tippett ain't going to be a part of this. Yeah. So like Couturier, save it for McDavid. That's totally fine with me. Exactly. And I just wonder if there is a calculation in Couturier's head of. Look, not every night do I necessarily or should I necessarily be going truly balls to the wall because I'm going to have to I'm going to need it when we play against the top teams and when I am asked every shift to go up against one of the top 10 players in hockey. 
I'm not sure. I, that might just be something I'm, I'm inventing. But I just, I think to the, the games this season where I've been the most impressed by Kateri, and it does seem like he rises up to meet the challenge of playing against and trying to shut down a top tier player. I just wonder if there might be a little calculation on his part that I can't can't do what I did in my early to mid twenties. I have to I have to pace myself a little bit over the course of a long season. And just if I'm the coaching staff, because we know John Tortorella is coaching for the future. I mean, this dude's talking about playing a style that will benefit a dude who we believe won't be here for three more years. I guess we'll see. I, the fact that he's talking about it, I was like in bed last night thinking about the show, like pissed about last night's post game, right. and thinking about making today's show good. And I'm just like, what's popped up lately? Like, I don't know. The mad Russian thing was interesting, <laughs> but also, why is he thinking about that? Like John Tortorella doesn't last four years anymore. <laughs> like that'll be his fifth year. Like uh, he doesn't always get a fifth year. We, you know, we'd be getting close. But, but it, well, anyway, like just. Yeah, that's so. Uh, if we're going to talk about Couturier in that game winning play last night, also got to talk about. You tweeted Travis Sanheim drew it up in the faceoff circle? He sure did. Because they were taking a long time. There was a timeout, and then they really took their time getting yeah. to that defensive zone draw. And it was clear a conversation was going on. And, uh, Oh, maybe Sandheim needs to be OC. Maybe he needs, maybe he needs to replace Brian Johnson. <laughs> yeah, right. I, look, Sandheim's a, uh, and, I don't think people realize how intelligent of a player, honestly, how intelligent of a person he is. Like, there's a reason why he volunteered to be the new NHLPA rep and really take the lead um, on it from uh, from James Van Riemsdyk. Like, he is a pretty thoughtful guy. But we asked him because the way that play developed, and I tweeted it out in the moment, it very much looked like a set play. It looked like something that wasn't just everybody going by instincts. It looked like something that was planned. So we asked Travis Sanheim, the first guy we got after the game, about it. And he basically said, I saw how they were lined up. Their D was up against the wall for the faceoff. I had Gensel right next to me. So I yelled back to TK. I said, if we win this here, I'm going to rim it around. You should be able to beat him, which is exactly what happened. Couture wins the draw. Konechny's off to the races. Sanheim actually said he, he thought it was only going to be Konechny that beat his guy. He wasn't expecting Couture to also beat his guy. So it was even better than he'd originally thought. But yeah, that was apparently Sanheim's plan that he just saw something and I asked I asked Tortorella after the game I wanted to bring this up in post game but unfortunately we couldn't I asked Tortorella after the game you know obviously he has a young team in terms of trying to develop guys guys like Tippett you know even even guys like you know Noah Cates who's out but Cam York Tyson Forrester Bobby Brink these are guys that they're trying to develop into what they're ultimately going to be some in some ways from a talent standpoint they may be more talented than the guys they're looking to surpass but what they don't have is the experience to do things like that to just look at a situation look at a play look at a formation and then not only recognize it but have the confidence to tell your teammates hey this is what we're doing and i asked is this kind of you know exactly what you want to see from your vets and he's he basically said absolutely you know this is what this is what guys like sanheim and Couturier and even Konechny, this is what we want them to do this is what they bring that the young guys can't and that was really cool it was cool to see like travis sanheim is and, and this is honestly part of the reason why I, I enjoy covering him so much is that he doesn't have the personality, like traditional personality of a pro athlete, you know, and, and I'm not in no way, shape or form. Am I because these guys are it's actually, OK, they're well, dumb. No, but these no, not even that. <laughs> like these these guys are best buddies. But like yeah. Travis Konechny has the personality of like a stereotypical pro athlete. Like I'm on the shit and I want you all to know it. Whereas yeah. Sandheim is much more laid, not laid back, but he's just kind of, he doesn't, he's not a, a big talker. He, I think he deals with self-doubt sometimes. And honestly, to me, like that makes him more relatable to me than someone like Konechny. Like I could never be a Travis Konechny. <laughs> I would never have that much confidence in myself. Like, are you kidding me? Whereas Travis Sandheim, you know, when he talks about overthinking things and when he talks about, you know, I just couldn't get that one bad play out of my head. I'm just like, yeah, I, I feel that. Like, if I have a bad show or I write an, or I make a mistake in an article, I have a typo. I'm I'm thinking about it all day. So there's an element of relatability to Travis Sanheim, which is why it was so cool to hear that he was the one that came up with the play because he's not the kind of personality that automatically thinks that his ideas are perfect, and he has the confidence in that situation in overtime against against the ride the big rival of the team to 
not only notice something, but believe that he's right in noticing it and call the play and then see it play out the way it did. It was cool. So that line last night, they were eventually the heroes of the game. Your hero. Man, it's simple. It's hero bread. Uh, listen, that was so bad. <laughs> listen, I think this time of year we could use a little help making some better decisions. I know with football every Sunday, tons of hockey games, not to mention holiday parties, everything else going on this time of year. Going to have you know uh, college playoffs coming up. Uh, just nonstop festivities, basically from now till the new year. I'm going to be taking in a lot of calories and specifically a lot of carbs. Uh, I'm told maybe not the best choice for maintaining a healthy lifestyle, but that's where Hero Bread comes in. Hero makes uh, sliced breads, buns, and tortillas that are available on Hero.co as well as Amazon. And all of their products have hit, hit the spot for me because this bread is soft, fluffy, and delicious. And right now, Hero Bread is offering the PHLY fam 10% off their first order. Just go to Hero.co and use our code PHLY to save on Hero Bread today. That's H-E-R-O.co to save 10% today with code PHLY. Uh, another standout from last night's game. Uh, you wrote an article about him. I just read it before the show. A-plus stuff at allphly.com. Tyson Forster. Four goals in his last three games, scored in all three. He has been phenomenal lately. Uh, I, My favorite part of your article, and this is why I say Charlie is the best game analyst in town, is anyone can be like, oh, look, he scored. Scoring good. That's cool. Tyson Forster, good. Goals, and, good. Yeah, and it, like, anyone could, <laughs> I could have done that. The play that you show at the top of the article that was like, you can see his confidence growing. And where he cuts off Eric Carlson on the wall and then eventually gets the puck at the top of the zone, walks in yeah. and takes the shot with no traffic, nothing. That's a dude who's just like, well, I could score. Yeah. I could score here. Exactly. Like doesn't dish off, doesn't wait for someone to get in front, doesn't do a stupid slap pass or something. Rips one. Yeah. Now it hits Najelkovich right in the chest. That's gonna happen sometimes when you shoot a lot, you hit the goalie a lot. Yeah. He comes back later, rips the one timer and scores. Really, really like Charlie's article and just the little things. It's it showed one the little details in his game that they love so much. Exactly, it just made a subtle little play along the boards. Pro probably a little bit of an interference, but it's one of those interference plays they never call. Call that, yeah. They ahead. never call it. Sure, yeah. Call that one. Uh, and then later on, like rips a shot from the top, walks in. Like everything that they've liked about his game, Forster. Yeah, the scoring is great. The details are what has kept him in the lineup, and that seemed to be like. A lot of the quotes you were getting last night. The thing I love, though, is every we were saying early in the season when he just hadn't scored. Like, this dude just needs one off his ass, and then everything will be fine. If he gets one canoeble goal, <laughs> then all of a sudden, we'll be cool. It actually worked that way. They really did. He had yeah. he had those two deflection goals. The first one, they didn't know was his till the next day. Exactly. And then he had nice deflection on the Lawton shot, but, like... Still, it's a deflection. It's a, yeah. Did not snipe it. Yeah. And then finally puts one in on a shot the other night, and now he's got two in a row like that. Forster, confidence just got to be soaring right now. Yeah, and I just think you could just feel like the weight being lifted off his shoulders. And Sean Gattari spoke to that last night that basically said, for goal scorers, it, it doesn't even matter how you get the goal. It's just that you have the goal. Now suddenly you're not trying to score five goals on every shot. You're just trusting that you have the ability to beat a goalie. And what is so intriguing and exciting about Tyson Forrester is that when a guy is doing all the things that you didn't think he was going to do and the one thing that he's not doing is what he's always done his entire <laughs> career, you're just watching him and you're thinking to yourself, man, like if you could just do that thing that we know you can do, this could be amazing stuff right here. And now he's doing it. Now we're seeing the, you know, the, the wrist shot. We're seeing the powerful shot with the accuracy and the velocity and the quick release. It's there, but he's doing it without sacrificing all the little details that kept him in the lineup in the first place. Because if he doesn't have those little details, he gets sent down by the beginning of November. Like he's, he's gone a month ago because he wasn't scoring, you know, three points in 15 games from a guy who was exclusively getting top nine minutes. That ain't keeping you in the lineup unless you're doing literally everything else well. And he was. So now, if he keeps doing everything else well, except now he scores a goal every two games, suddenly you've got a 30-plus goal scorer who also is one of the best two-way players on the team. 
And that's not like, that's not a support piece anymore. That's a like borderline star level player, which was a ceiling that I never really thought he had. And now I'm starting to think like, you know, if he can put this together, I don't think he's an elite player, but I think if, if that, that player type, that's the next tier down. If you yeah. are, if you are a, an elite play driver who also can score a ton of goals and shoot 14, 15% because your shot is just that damn good. I mean, that's a, that's the third or fourth player on a great team. And that's just, I think about a lot the, uh, how during the Hextall regime, we heard that they looked in, they looked at their forward combos in terms of duos. Like we have, we have Jake and G. Right. And those two go together. Like we have Coots and Reed or whoever it was, you know? And like we just have these guys and then you fill in the third one. I'm looking at Tyson Forster and how they've, even when he wasn't scoring, got him on the ice consistently with Sean Couturier. And I'm just thinking, is he the high end? Is Forster the high end guy that Giroux was? We say how that, like those two kind of made each other at the end there. Like one gets them there. One does all the work to score once they're there. I don't know if Forster's that, but get a guy with that kind of shot in the offensive zone a lot more, he's going to be effective. And if you have two of those, and he's one of those play drivers as well, like we said, you're going to be spending a lot of time in the offensive zone, and that has to be a good thing. And when I look at now, not just who's going to be here, but what's their role going to be, just keep looking at Couturier. Like, if he can be an awesome 2C shutdown guy, that's huge. Well, you put them with Tyson Forster, they're going to score too. Yeah. Like this could be a, a duo that they move forward with, whether it's Konechny over there, whether maybe Bobby Brink fits on that line as like a distributor type, whatever it is. Like I think you have two guys that you can kind of pencil in like second line, set. No, I, I think that, and that's something that I, where I differ from the people who think like the Flyers need so much more talent. The Flyers do desperately need top of the lineup high end guys. That is undeniable. They need like a superstar level player. They need maybe one or two more. Probably they, they probably need a legitimate impact defenseman, and then they need like a, a Robin to what they're hoping is Matt Mitchkov's Batman. But aside from that, like I look at guys like Konechny, Couturier, now maybe Forrester, Farabee, like. No, I don't think any of those guys, Katuri maybe was at one point. I don't think he is anymore. I don't look at any of those guys as guys who can be the best player on a cup contender. They're just not good enough. But I don't think it's ridiculous to say that they couldn't be the second tier on a cup yeah, contender. Not like at all. they are, I think they all can be maybe tip it, you know, becomes more consistent and can be part of that group too. But they have guys that I think would be perfectly comfortable as the second tier behind the superstars on a cup contending team like no i don't think any of them are nikita kucherov or Braden point or steven samkos but like are, could they be ryan mcdonough yeah like like that level you know and, and, yes. and you need those guys to be a cup contender it's just that as we've talked about they just need guys like matt vay mechkov and cutter Gauthier to be great and that's the gamble you're taking because, you know, the gamble that they, they, they took in the Hextall um, rebuild was you're hoping that guys like Claude Drew and Jake Voracek are still going to be great by the time the kids are ready. The gamble they seem to be maybe taking in this rebuild is they're really hoping that Pat Mitchkov and Cutter Goche are the top of the lineup guys that they so lack. But the, I think they may already have that second tier of like not quite stars, but certainly impact guys. I think they might already have that. Yeah, I definitely think that that is, it's one of the positives that I've taken from, yeah, if your team tank, you're like, well, they're winning every game, like, this is horrible for the draft, like, okay, I'm with you, if it were me rebuilding, I'd probably lean a little bit more towards, let's tear it down a, a bit further, but if they don't think this is going to take that long... <laughs> They do have some of those guys. Yeah. Like they need less now. The things they need are the, the hardest, the, the big things. They're yeah. the hardest yeah. things to get. Yeah. Like yeah, well, you know, we need more superstars. Well, so too does every team not named <laughs> Colorado, yeah. Vegas, and Tampa. Like every team like needs more superstars. Toronto, I guess. Like basically, that's it. But the Flyers do seem to have everything else. And one of those things that's uh, really emerging as a strength of this team is the goaltending. Carter Hart, uh, and you you put the numbers for both goalies, like since the start of November, Hart hasn't been awesome, 
Uh, he's but, been okay. Yeah, he's been okay. But he hasn't been awesome. But he hasn't been awesome. But I will say, last night, I thought he was phenomenal. It was great. I mean, some odd man rush chances that he stopped, just some point blank stuff. The um, Those goddamn tip plays that the Penguins run where they're just like, yeah, there's a guy on the post somehow <laughs> directing a wide shot into the net, like yeah. puck off the ice that they have the best hand I've ever seen. Everyone on the team, best hand I've ever seen. Uh, but he was awesome last night. He gives up the one goal uh, at the end of the period, and it was like, well, yeah, they were going to score. Um, what what did, what are you thinking about a potential emerging goalie battle? I know we still think it's going to be Hart the majority of the time, but I, I was just thinking on post-game last night forever, uh, on, during the Carter Hart tenure, basically. The backup has been aging Brian Elliott. Uh, let's bring in Cam Talbot because they're buddies. Oh, he, he wants to play a little bit more than we thought? No, he's not coming back. Uh, like Felix Sandstrom, who we have zero confidence in. He's never going to play unless it's an absolute necessity. Now, there's a goalie who they actually want to put in the net. Yeah. And he's been really, really good. Like His numbers since the start of November, 5-2-0 uh, with a 9-22, plus... 5.3 goal save uh, above average. Is that what that one is? Uh, above expected. Above yeah. expected. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Do you see this turning into, even if it's not playing time-wise even, like a battle? Like, we're going to keep one of these. We don't know who yet. Well... I don't think that's the way that it'll be positioned, and I don't think that's even the way that they will be handling the load i think this is carter hart's job he is the number one maybe if sam harrison gets like a couple shutouts in a row they'll be like well i guess we got to keep rolling with him like that was the time brian boucher had the shutout streak with that the, the sharks when he was the backup and it was like well he keeps shutting these teams out so i guess we got to keep using them but I, I think what it means more is it gives them food for thought for the future because look they're planning things. They're planning out who's going to be part of this, who's not going to be part of this. Now, I think John Tortorella really likes Carter Hart. I think he he has confidence in him. That's why I don't think it's ever going to be a battle because I think as long as Carter Hart is here, John Tortorella is going to go to him over Sam Harrison more often than not. However, if you've got Sam Harrison playing really well for the rest of the season, finishes out the year with pretty darn good numbers – that are really only dragged down by the fact that those first couple games were poor because he didn't play for three weeks. <laughs> yeah, he hadn't like, played since the preseason. Yeah, like that was probably the reason for that. Yeah. If that's how this ultimately plays out, when they're negotiating a contract with Carter Hart, if Carter Hart comes in with demands that they view as a little ambitious given his career records and given the potential dark cloud that still hangs over him, maybe the Flyers do think to themselves, you know what? We don't really like like we it's not that we don't want you. It's that we don't we don't really need you because we think that Airson is, if not your equal, pretty darn close and will come a lot cheaper, which will allow us to improve other parts of the roster more than we would be able to do if we tied up a seven million dollar cap hit in Carter Hart. That to me is the more interesting question. I think this year, I think Airson is gonna play more than maybe he had before uh, Hart got injured and Harrison played a bit more and played himself back into a rhythm. Like I'm expecting, for example, they're going on this road trip. I'm expecting Harrison to get one game in this road trip. Not sure which it's which is going to be, whether it'll be against Arizona, whether maybe they'll throw him to the Wolves against Colorado and see what the kid can do. I think he'll get one game. And I think that's kind of going to be the, the, the trend is try to get him in a game a week, you know, get keep him fresh, keep him getting opportunities, but still stick with Hart as the main guy. But I think the big thing here is that the better Arison plays, the more it puts in the heads of Danny Briere and Keith Jones and even John Tortorella that maybe Carter Hart isn't essential to this. I I like the idea of kind of throwing him to the Wolves against Colorado. Just see what he's got. So just not even see what he's got. Uh, I just think the high-variance goalies – like against a team like that, mm. like we might get lit up, but Carter Hart might get lit up too because they're awesome. <laughs> Let's see if he can just do some Hasek shit. Mm. Like maybe he just has a ridiculous game. It's possible. I kind of kind of like the idea of playing him against Colorado, but we will see uh, on this upcoming trip. I do want to talk because I was at the game last night, first game of the season, ton of fun. Um, it was a different Flyers Penguins experience, though, than has been the case over you know the last decade. Because mm -hmm. 
there was, especially like right in front of me, like Penguins fans had like two pretty full sections, like down Did in front really? of me. Okay. There was so little, like I saw two fan bases going through the motions. Like, yeah, hmm. they came, but they did nothing to like make their presence. And like when the Rangers were here, it was like, they clearly wanted it to be known that there were more Rangers fans yeah, than Flyers oh, absolutely. fans. Yeah. Like they had taken over and wanted to make it known. The Penguins fans were just like, yeah, we're here. All right. Like when they scored, it was loud, sure. but there was no like resounding let's go Penguins chant, like nothing. And I saw very little back and forth between the two fan bases. Like the game was nowhere near sold out. Yeah. Um, I, I, it was just a very weird vibe in, in the Wells Fargo Center last night. And I said on the post game, like awesome time. Uh, the renovations and everything, really cool. All my friends like, who do, that I was there with that don't get a chance to go a lot, really enjoyed themselves. Um, but this, <laughs> this rivalry, there were four minor penalties last night. Two of them were a puck over the glass and a too many men. The other two were some sort of stick obstructions. <laughs> like There was zero physicality in that game. These two teams have, and the fan base is kind of reflected, this rivalry is dead right now. It, look, it is. And we actually, I don't, it wasn't me. Someone asked Tortorella about that after the game, about the, the concept of a rivalry. And Tortorella basically was like, look, like to me, a rivalry doesn't, isn't created just because you're in the same state. It's created mostly because you play in playoff series against each other and then you start to hate each other. And he was like, look, you guys, and he was saying to the media, like, you guys remember those playoff series. So for you, it's still a rivalry. For us and for this team, it really isn't yet. It might be at some time in the future, again, if both these teams get good and then have a playoff series or two and that that nastiness, that that anger, that animosity starts building up. But in the here and now, it's just not there because there's been so much turnover. I mean, yeah, Crosby and Malkin are still there. Giroux's gone. Couturier's still there, but Couturier was always more of a... I would say like a secondary character yes. in this in this drama that was Flyers Penguins. You know, it was great when he shut down when he shut down Malkin in that playoff series. He obviously was a was a huge part in the um in the 2017-2018 series. You know, he gets injured, the comes torn back. The MCL has yeah. the hat trick. Exactly. So like he was part of it, but it was always, in my perception, it was always Drew versus Crosby. Yeah. That was Richards Crosby, Drew Crosby, exactly. and it was this other stuff. And like, yeah, they met three times over five years in the playoffs. That was over ten years ago. Yeah, like that. Was it doesn't feel that long ago to us. Yes. but to the the kids on this Flyers team, like, yeah, I guess they no, remember. They were children. Yeah, they remember watching these series as children. Yeah. But like, it was it was as if. Like for us, 2012 would, is old time no, hockey. No, like today. For, for us, it would be like the Colorado Detroit ride. Yeah. Like, yeah, like for us, like that was awesome and that was fun to watch. But like, if there I were different conferences, if that. I was, if, if I was, and I'm certainly not, if I was a really good young hockey player watching those games and then I get drafted by Colorado, I'm not going to naturally hate the Red Wings. Like, who gives a crap? Yeah, yeah. Those series were fun to watch, but like, I don't have that same animosity. You build up the animosity by actually being part of the games, not just because the media keeps saying this is a rivalry and i think what you said about the fans about pittsburgh the distinction between pittsburgh fans at the game and rangers fans at the game and this is honestly i think a good segue into what we're about to talk about the difference between the two is that rangers fans are excited about their team <laughs> they're like man we're freaking good we could win the cup we want to be we we want to piss off flyers fans because we want them to know how good we feel about our team and how much better we feel about our team than they feel about theirs penguins fans don't feel that good about their team because i think most of them on some level realize that this is the end that crosby and malkin are old they're not what crosby is closer to what he used to be malkin definitely is not what he used to be Latang is still good but not great they're getting the last few years out of eric carlson this is them trying to hang on this is them trying to make the playoffs you not make the playoffs with these guys because that's what you do yes. you have generational dudes yes. you see it to the end yes they know on some level even if they won't admit it out loud that their penguins team is not a cup contender a true cup contender anymore and i think that comes out in their willingness to be loud and abrasive and cocky in another team's arena because they just know that there's less of a chance their team's going to back it up. Yeah, and that, like, it really felt that way. Like, just walking by Penguins fans last night, you're just like, yeah, hi. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see each other again, but yeah. tonight is just kind of 
We all know what this is. Well, it was just, it was very funny to me. Like for years, it was the Pittsburgh power play against the Flyers penalty kill was like if you put a heavyweight in the ring with a lightweight. It was just unfair. It just felt like the Penguins were just toying with the Flyers every single time because for years, the Flyers penalty kill was garbage. And the, and the Penguins power play was one of the best in the league. This like I think the Flyers had more scoring chances on the penalty kill than the Penguins had on the power play. I don't even think it was particularly close. <laughs> <laughs> I think they played it blowing them away. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, talking about the excitement level down at the Wells Fargo Center, it's not what it was. But I think you you might want to change that. And if that's the case, get in there with game time because listen, buying tickets to your favorite event shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You could stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Maybe it's like, oh, I'm an, I'm an Urson fan. Uh, I don't want to see Carter Hart. I want to go see Sam Erson. Listen, I feel you. Well, real easy with game time. You wait until they announce who the starting goalie is, and boom, you go on there. Two clicks, you have your tickets. Uh, get ex- And you can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress of Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed so gotta gotta stop you for a second here because the the amin erison fan thing i gotta tell a little this is me now little story okay. little story is and this is a shout out to uh to olivia reiner who was uh, the flyers beat writer the past couple of years she now is covering the philadelphia eagles for the inquire um when sam erison started like getting his first chance olivia made the case that if you were a sam erison fan you are not a sam erison fan you are an erison person and I kind of love it. I thought you were going to say Erstan. No, you're an Erson person. Per- person. An Erson person. I am an Erson person. You're an Erson like person. That. I and like the thing that. is, it doesn't quite work because you're supposed to say it Erson. But I feel like, you know what? If if you're making that joke, well, it's Erson person. And we're going to start worrying about how you pronounce people's names. Alshon Jeffries. Like, come on. <laughs> like, you know, it's Philly. We say what we want to say when we say exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, so we're talking about the, the place that these two teams are in. And like... We got a tweet the other night. Both teams need to rebuild and only one knows it. Yeah. And like, I don't think that's untrue. Although I think I I understand their situation. I understand why the Penguins are not rebuilding. I think that. and, And you know what? Honestly, what the Penguins are probably thinking, which is probably true, is that they're going to do this. They're going to squeeze as much life out of their their elite players as they can. And then they're going to completely suck, and they're going to luck into a generational player for the third time in their history. Charlie, <laughs> it's going to be this year. <laughs> Macklin Celebrini is a Pittsburgh Penguin already. I hate to break it to everybody. <laughs> he is going to play with Sidney Crosby the way Mario came back to play with Crosby. Like, it's just going to happen. If they, if, if the NHL, like, there would be no way for them to argue that it's not rigged if in two straight years the Blackhawks Black and Penguins. the Penguins win yeah. the lottery. It would it's, just be like, all right, it's rigged. It's got to be rigged. Listen, I am not the, oh, look at all the gambling money. Obviously, all the games are rigged. I am not one of these people. However, it is very clear. That the lottery is rigged. See, I don't think it's rigged, but the it, one piece of evidence I really <laughs> like, I think the thing that they do to prove it's not rigged is Arizona never wins. Mm. Arizona has never picked one, and I'm pretty sure they've never picked two. Like the team that they're always trying to save, right? I feel like that, that would is, just be too obvious. That's their red hair. They're like, but our, wouldn't we rig it for Arizona? No, because you'd make no money with Arizona. So no. Uh, but like, I do think that they they fudge this a little sometimes. Uh, and like, I don't think they're alone. Like the NBA clearly rigs the lottery. So you're just, you just had this full on conspiracy yeah. theory about all leagues. Uh, okay. Just those two. Just those two. No one cares about the well, baseball well, draft. Yeah. Well, there fo- are no, there are no lotteries in the other two. It's yeah, just pure football. It's just yeah. like whoever loses, and yeah, you know, like they don't care because all the teams are worth a trillion dollars. True. Uh, but anyway, back to this thing about the Flyers. Thirteen, ten, and two on the season. 
they are currently in a playoff spot, third in the division on total points. Of course, fifth on points percentage. I don't know why they do it this way. They've played a lot of games so far this year. They've played, like, I think... I think Columbus has played like 19 or 20 games and the Flyers have 25. Yeah. Like there's big disparities in, uh, in games played. Maybe Ottawa's it's Ottawa. played 19. Ottawa has played. That's what it that's is. Wild. I heard it on yesterday's What Chaos that yeah. they've only played 19. And there's teams with like 25, I mean, 26 as I'm, well. I'm sure the beat writers covering the Senators have enjoyed this early schedule. Yeah. Godspeed for when it kicks up. Yeah, March, they catch March up. is going to suck, bro. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, uh, but any, like. Yeah, currently third in the Metro, fifth by points percentage, 6-3-1 in their last 10. Uh, they're on this 8-3-1 run since they lost to San Jose. Basically, they're playing this well out of embarrassment. <laughs> it's like, we got to. We, we we can't we got to make people forget about that yeah. as soon as possible. Well, and they have good, they, they do, doing a pretty good job. They're pretty it. damn good since yeah. uh, just looking at what they've done. They after they came back from that West Coast swing, eight straight against the Metro. Four, uh, what was it? Four, three, and one. Four yeah, wins, four, four, wins losses. four losses. But the, the overtime, the New Jersey. Right. Um, wh- where do you see them right now in terms of actual playoff contention? Because like they're in a playoff spot, but when everyone has the same number of games played, they won't be. But they're close. What do you see? Well, I, I think the the four games to me that stood out the most were the two against the Islanders and the two against the Penguins because the Islanders beat the shit out of the them. Islanders <laughs> and the Penguins are two teams that. They're not, they, I, I went into the season certainly not thinking they were part of the elite of the Metro. They could make the playoffs, but, but they might but not. They were, they were very clearly in that playoff bubble. The Flyers in those four games against them outplayed them, I think, in all four. At the very least, it was either between like, at, at worst, they played them to, to even. And at best, they significantly outplayed them. I came away from both of those because they played two games against the the Isles. It wasn't quite. It's really annoying that they didn't do a back to back, so we can't call it a back to back. That they had to slip a game in between. That really, both that really on ticked Long me off. Island with a home game against the yeah. Rangers in the middle. Yeah, they really just had to get that Black Friday game, and that's what it boiled down to. But I thought the Flyers looked significantly better than the Islanders across both those games, and I thought the Flyers looked a bit better than the Penguins across these two games. It wasn't as dramatic it wasn't like Sorokin stole like Sorokin stole that one game they lost against the Isles and then nearly stole that's what happens that's why you pay Sorokin exactly exactly and nearly stole another but if the Flyers and granted small sample we're talking about four games if the Flyers are better than both the Penguins and the Islanders we know they're better than Columbus because Columbus is just a dumpster fire suddenly we're talking about a team that is in the middle of the Metro like they they lost the they lost the Canes they lost the Rangers I think they are significantly worse than both those, those teams. teams and they played well against the Hurricanes but they still I would lost. say in two of the three yeah uh, but I think two talent wise those two teams are oh, they are considerably yeah. better in the Flyers and then they lost to the Devils that was a closeish game but I do think the Devils over time are going to crawl up the standings and surpass the Flyers the Devils have a real issue with health and yeah. goaltending. But, like, look at the two rosters. The the Devils are back. Yeah. So you've got those three teams at the top. You've got the Blue Jackets at the bottom. Then you've got this muddled middle of the Penguins, the Islanders, the Capitals. And now, going into the season, you thought the Flyers were with the Blue Jackets. Now I think the Flyers are with those three other teams. And they've played two of them. And they look significantly better. Well, not significantly, but they look better than two of them. So while I don't think they are a top three Metro team, if you wanted to, I think you could make a case that the Flyers are a team in wild card contention because they are in that, like potentially could finish fourth or fifth in the Metro, looking at the relative quality of the teams in the Metro. And they will get a chance against another one of those Metro teams, the Washington Capitals on the 14th, December 14th, and that is the date of our very first PHLY Flyers takeover. It is going to be a tremendous time. Uh, Check our socials for links to get tickets, but not only do you get a game ticket, not only is it all-inclusive, free food and drink through the end of uh, second intermission, you get invited to a meet-and-greet Nice little get-together party with Charlie and I. That's right. Meet the star 
stars of PHLY Flyers. Obviously, that's why you want this ticket. I'll be uh, posing for pictures, five bucks a piece. Uh, there, there, there will be no charge. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, if you want to charge, <laughs> my, my pictures are free. <laughs> Uh, but it's just going to be a really great time down at the Wells Fargo Center. We're gonna get, we want to get as many people out there as possible. Uh, we want to do these social events. We want to do them up big, continue to grow the community. Something for you all to be a part of. Because, goddamn, man, we really appreciate everyone hanging on with the Flyers who is uh, during this time of basic irrelevance. Now, they're better than we expected, but after being absolutely terrible the last two years and mediocre for a decade... I don't blame anyone who's like, yeah, I'm kind of out on the Flyers right take now. Some time. But anyone who's in and with us, we want to see you there on the 14th. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to send out links, but go to allphly.com. Check out our events tab, and you'll probably be able to get the tickets there. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. That's all. All right. So uh, I want to get to the Joel Farabee situation okay. because there doesn't appear to be – That's while John Tortorella – seems to sometimes really want to be a disciplinarian. And we've seen his attitude with Kevin Hayes become a consistent thing to the point. It's like, yeah, Kevin Hayes can't be here. Guys like that. I like that often there aren't a ton of like hanging offenses. You know, yes, they did try to trade Travis Sanheim and maybe this is a relationship of, convenience or necessity necessity i think but, yeah, necessity is the one i'm going for here but like clean slate travis sanheim and he's lived up to it so the dude gets to play half the game basically joel farabee yes he played two shifts 56 seconds a couple of games ago since then his average time on ice 1506 and 1403 in the last couple of games has matched basically his season total his season average Played last night, it uh, looked like, you pointed out, I, th- I believe, uh, in a tweet, it looked like the goal that they gave up, he might have made the mistake that got him benched. It, it wasn't the exact same mistake, but he it was— He pinched when Sandheim was already deep, yes. and he probably should have been the one covering. Yes, yes, exactly. So it was just—it was the kind of play where if Joel Farabee was truly in John Tortorella's doghouse, it would have gotten him benched again because it's like— I keep telling you, and you keep not doing it, but clearly it wasn't because he was right back out there for his first shift in the second period. I thought aside from that play, Farabee was fine. He had his moments. It's, I think there's a little bit of a misconception that there is a lot of tension between John Tortorella and Joel Farabee. I think that John Tortorella is pushing Joel Farabee to be sure, which I think is good. Joel Farabee, you know, you want... You want someone like him who clearly has not yet reached his ceiling. You want him to be pushed because I want to see what his ceiling can be. I don't think he's reached his ceiling yet. He's young enough where I think he still has more on tap potential. I think what he's shown so far this year has been promising. His underlying numbers are the best they've ever been. He's scoring goals. I would like to see him get a little bit more ice time, but maybe there's an element of you got to prove it to the coach before he gives you the ice time. I'm not in the room, so I don't know the details, but I don't think this is a situation where John Tortorella hates Joel Farabee in the way that he doesn't seem to believe that Morgan Frost is part of the solution. I think he would like to see more from Joel Farabee, but I think he very much likes Joel Farabee's skill set and thinks that he can be a part of this, which is why he didn't bench him a second time in three games for making a mistake. Look, they're never going to say why he was benched in that game ever like why even after Garnet Hathaway got thrown out of the game why you didn't bring Joel Farabee back in after sitting in for a period I do wonder because there was a little bit of a debate in the press box and in the press room of like what was the mistake that ticked off Tortorella was it the fact that you know he's on the left side of the ice in that neutral zone formation he crosses over to the other side and now you have three forwards he missed three forwards on one side of the ice he misses on breaking up the play and suddenly it's a transition rush or was it the fact that his back check wasn't exactly the most active because sam sanheim is deep in the zone on that play and you see him on screen like just as the play comes up ice, you don't see Farabee in the screen till the goal's being exactly. brought out of the back of the net. And Sanheim is at least like at the hash marks yes. when the goal is scored. So I don't know which one it was, but I almost wonder if it was a little bit of both. Because one thing about John Tortorella is, and this has definitely been his thing, especially this year, is that, look, we're going to make mistakes. The way we're playing, we're taking risks, we're being a more aggressive team. Mistakes are going to happen. Odd man rushes are going to happen. 
But if you make a mistake, you got to try like hell to erase it. And I wonder if it was the combination of the two things. It's like, you know what, Joel? I could deal with the mistake. It was, it was it was the wrong read. You screwed up. It was probably something that we had talked about, and I'm annoyed about that. But you should realize if you make that mistake, you better bust your ass getting back. I don't care if you get back, but I want to see you diving to get back into that play to show me that you recognize how badly you screwed up and that you're trying everything you can to make up for it. I almost wonder if that's what happened and that's what put him over the edge to be like, he needs to sit the rest of this game. I think it was the combination of those two things. And I also believe like just if I'm the coach, if you're going to jump in like that, Fucking take the body. Because mm. if nothing else, at least now it's four on four. Mm. Like, not only did you miss, but now they got five guys coming this way and we only have four. Like, at least you could have taken someone out of the play, but missed on that as well, trying to go for the steal rather than playing physically. I think it all kind of combined to just be like, you know, I don't think you're playing tonight. I got to stop you for a second because, like, just like, I'm sorry. This is really cool. Like, we're in the middle of a show right now and. We're the way our studio is set up. You can actually see through the glass to the uh, the elevator, and we're just we're just chatting about the flyers. And the elevator opens up, and Fletcher Cox just walks in. Like <laughs> that's really freaking cool. <laughs> that's not bad. It's, it's pretty neat. It's not. It, it ain't a bad gig, Charlie. Not, not a bad Quite gig. honestly, it's it's pretty cool here. Um, so Faraby, the one thing I'll say is, I wish he got a little bit more ice time. And now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it would fix the power play. Since the start of November, he's ninth among Flyers forwards in power play time on ice. Um, typically, they don't go with five forwards, which means he's last in the rotation, right. sometimes doesn't get in there. That seems like a mistake, just in terms of if you want to have a functional power play, Joel Farabee, one of the better players on this team. Why do you think he's not getting that time? You know, it's funny because I think there's been... I said earlier, there's been some consternation about Couturier, whereas I've been looking at his numbers, I've been watching him closely, and I think that's overblown. I do think that Cam Atkinson is showing some signs of, I don't want to use the word regression, but I think there's, like, you might be starting to see a little bit of the after effects of the fact that he didn't play last year. Because he came out the start of the year, he seemed like he was just jacked to be playing. He was full of, like, the adrenaline was high, he was making plays, it was like, man... This looks like pre-injury Cam Atkinson. It just seems like, and I don't think this is laziness. I just think that maybe that early season adrenaline's worn off a little bit, and now he's he's dipping a bit. And you know what? He's a goal scorer. Goal scorers are streaky, so there's that element too. Like, he's going to go through dips. He went through dips his first year in Philly as well, where he would get real hot for two weeks, then disappear, then come back. Like that's a reason that's the reason why Cam Atkinson is a support player at this stage of his career, not a top of the lineup guy. But I do wonder if the fact that he missed last year and the fact that there's probably still some like he probably still needs to to get himself back into a little bit of like 82 game season game shape. It may be impacting him a bit because to me he hasn't looked nearly as effective over the last couple of weeks as he looked to start the year. All right, uh, just a couple of guys I want to get to before we wrap things up. But first, I got to tell you how to look your absolute best this holiday season, and it's by shopping at FOCO. FOCO is the absolute best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. Whether you're looking for team apparel for the season ahead, they've got overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, anything you need for game day. Maybe you're in the market for some accessories, toys, or collectibles for your man cave, she shed, or podcast set. You've got to use FOCO for all your team gear needs. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the get best get the best gear around by using the link in the description of this show. And for all non-presale items, use promo code PHLY10. That's PHLY10 for 10% off. Shop at FOCO today. And if... I know I've been talking about the uh, like reversible hoodies, the blankets that they have. Uh, holiday pajamas, also <laughs> very cool. Okay. Like if you're looking for a little bit different look, like oh, you know the red flannel, that's one thing. Uh, they have some really cool flyers, uh, PJs that you might want to check out. So that's Foco, and use promo code PHLY10 for ten percent off. Um, yeah, you know, we've talked about Bobby Brink some. This is kind of just the ups and downs of a rookie season. 
Uh, he's only got, I think, one assist, no goals in his last five or six games. Not exactly tearing it up, but I thought he made some plays last night. I he mixes too. it up. Yeah. Um, he's, I wouldn't call him a physical player, but he is. I was expecting Morgan Frost, and I'm pleasantly surprised he's more than that. It's funny that you made that comparison because I thought the same thing, where I've seen. Like, he's fighting along no, the board. No, he's feisty. He's feisty, he's feisty in a way that Frost is not, and I do think that over the long term that will distinguish him in John Tortorella's eyes from Morgan Frost because, look, John Tortorella obviously has his biases, and I think one of his biases is that if you are going to be a finesse scorer, you can be that, but if you're you, a superstar. But you got to score like 70 points <laughs> yeah. a year. Bobby Brink, I do not know. And I, I like Bobby Brink. I think Bobby Brink is going to be a quality NHL player. I do not know if Bobby Brink has 70-point potential at the NHL level. So if he's going to stick— It would be a nice surprise. It would be great. If he's going to stick in a John Tortorella lineup, he's going to need to bring a little bit more than just points. And I think what you see is that he can do that, that he, even though he's small, that he isn't, he isn't thin, he isn't skinny. He's got some bulk— and he's got the hockey ass. and he's willing to go into those dirty areas and and mix it up a little bit like it's funny you mentioned his game there was one play he made last night which i thought was like it was the kind of play that when you see a young guy make it's like that's if he's if he turns out to be good that's why and it was it was a long stretch pass Brink gets the puck it looks like he's going to have a break, some type of breakaway or like a legitimate transition rush he can't quite get the edge on the defenseman, probably because he's not an elite skater. And some guys would basically just panic. Maybe they just throw a shot at the net, whatever. He basically stops on a dime, waits just like a, a beat, turns, and then finds Owen Tippett for the this tippet, like yeah. brilliant scoring chance. Like Tippett could have scored on that play. It was this great pass right across the slot. And you're just like, man, that's a guy who knows what he is, knows that he's not fast enough to try to make that into a solo chance, but is creative enough to turn it into basically just as dangerous of a chance for someone else. That was a play where you're just like, man, that's his upside, and that's exciting. I think when, because we just talked about Joel Farabee, and he's not impressing me the way he did to start the year. Bobby Brink obviously not scoring the way he did right away. When I was like, oh, man, he's in like the top four or five in rookie scoring. Do we have a Dark Horse Cal Calder candidate? No. And then it's like <laughs> you're watching Connor Bedard. Like, oh, right. That's why he was like minus 125 to start the season in the Calder <laughs> race because, like, he's going to win. Um, but I think we saw the best hockey both of them played together. We really saw some chemistry develop. Yeah, I agree with that. And they haven't – like, I just keep seeing them not on the ice together. It seems like they're a natural fit. Is it just like we can't find the right center for them? We want to see them apart because we know we could put them back together. Like, wh why do you think we're not getting Farabee and Brink together as well, much yeah. as we were? I think part of it is just coaches like to juggle lines. They like to see different combinations. They like to try new things out. I also do think that the best version of that combo was with Noah Cates in the middle. And, and now Cates Noah Cates is, is out. Yeah. So maybe now they're juggling things to try to balance out other lines without Cates in the mix. That could be part of it. Look, I think those two have real chemistry. I'd like to see them as a duo moving forward. But it, I do get the sense, because we're still kind of caught up in this duo mentality because the Flyers did it for so long. I don't get the sense that John Tortorella has that same, not obsession, but just that same way of putting together the lines. This isn't how, like, this isn't our philosophy. Exactly. Like, it, it clearly was a philosophy before. Yeah, like, that's what they were doing yeah. under Hextall. That was their team building mentality yes and if i get if like if duos emerge dope but that's not our goal exactly to create duos the way it was exactly under previous management so i think that might be part of it is that there just isn't that same incentive on their part because they don't view things in terms of duos because if they did brink farabee would be a logical duo but hey if you want to you know try brink with a different center or something like that look We've said it a bunch of times. As much as it's fun to watch a team win, this is a year about discovery. Finding this out. is a year about finding out about things. And maybe you want to see, okay, both of those guys, we know they can score together. If we separate them, who scores? Who's actually driving the bus here? Uh, final thing for me today. Uh, we've talked about this some, obviously, quite a bit of time still until the trade deadline. But things are heating up. You know, like the holidays are coming. Uh, there have been some moves. We're about to—well, it was basically the Zadorov the trade, which 
that was, I can tell you this, that was the best thing in the world that could happen to media sources. Oh, yeah. Because here's, the, like, here's some, some inside baseball now that I'm no longer at The Athletic. Trade speculation stories do so freaking Everyone's well. Everyone's favorite thing. And because of that, by like the beginning of December, all of our editors would beg us to write anything related to trade speculation because that drove subscriptions and that kept the bosses happy. And it did not shock me in the slightest. And I, I love Shayna Goldman. I think she's fantastic. It did not shock me in the slightest when yesterday, like what, a week or less than a week after Zadorov gets traded, we see Shayna Goldman writing a possible trade destinations for Sean Walker. That's, like that was a direct from the editor demand. I, I guarantee you. I wasn't even going to say it because like I don't know your relationship with any of these people. No, she's great. But I was just going to be like they they did one yeah, yeah <laughs> like, i know uh but, but and that's a direct from the editor thing uh just sean walker's name came up on 32 thoughts i guess on yesterday's episode i don't know days aren't real exactly. uh but i think it was the newest one which dropped yesterday and it's like mostly and yes uh, the hockey world like trades the hockey world also revolves around the toronto maple leafs we all know they this. sure do and they are the cowboys um how does this affect the Leafs? They are they are in the market for defensemen. They were in on Zadorov, but they needed uh, they needed Calgary to cover some salary, and they're like, well, they don't, so we're not we're not doing that. Uh, so they just trade him to Vancouver. They're still in on Tanev, and it's like, okay, they they're looking for a right-handed defenseman. They have a bunch of D injuries, so they bring well Sean Walker. He's playing great. He's not very expensive. He's a righty. And the idea is he's not at the top of Toronto's list. Like, yeah, if they end up with Sean Walker, won't shock anyone. He checks a lot of the boxes. But they are specifically looking for somebody physical. Mm. Now, not right-handed, but Nick Sealer kind of fits that description for me. So I wanted to run this by you in terms of a prediction, because what is everyone looking for at the trade deadline going into the playoffs? playoff type guys that's why we see a tanner janot go for a first round pick that's why we hear oh yeah man scott lawton's gonna get a first like is he he's a third liner at best why <laughs> <laughs> like why yeah. and it's but uh, my prediction now like just thinking about this we are going i don't think we're gonna get more for sealer than walker i think we're gonna get more than we expect for nick sealer if they trade him and less than we expect for Sean Walker if they trade him. What say you? I could see it. I, look, to me, I'm with Sealer, I'm hoping for a third. That's what I was hoping for last year. That's what I'm still hoping for. Um, but I guess it's theoretically possible that you know teams might see him as that ideal shot blocking machine. Yeah, that shot blocking machine who can bring that toughness and grit to the to the bottom of the lineup. And maybe they talk themselves into giving up a second. Who knows? Sean Walker, like to me. Based on his statistical profile this year, he should bring back a first. He now, absolutely now, should. The big question is, is that do other teams, and this is something I wonder too, do other teams think that Sean Walker can do what he's doing in Philly with them? Because I do believe that this John Tortorella pressure aggressive system where he just basically lets the defenseman attack, I think it is ideally suited for Sean Walker's preferred style. I wonder if he would be playing this well with another team. Now, I still think he—I still think he would be fine. It's not like I think he's going to get traded and then suck. I think he's a good defenseman, but I think this legitimately might be the perfect stylistic fit for him. And if I am wondering about that, I suspect that other teams are also wondering about that, especially when their scouts get a look at him and they say, well, he's making all these plays, but he's making plays doing things that our coaches that we would never, do. would never yeah. let him do. <laughs> yes. And I guess that is a concern. I I mean, it's Marek and Friedman and they have unlimited sources. So I'm just like, I wonder who's putting it out there because they not, they're not just bringing up Sean Walker. Like nobody heard of Sean Walker before. Yeah, like he was. I mean, well, he was well, a good. He was a good player in L.A. He was no. He was not a household name. Well, but again, part of the reason why they're bringing him up, and this goes back to what I said a few minutes ago, is that everyone in the media knows that trade speculation drives clicks, it drives subs, it drives listens. It just it's it's a foolproof method because people are obsessed with this crap. And look, 
I've I've met Elliot Friedman. He's a great guy. I respect the hell out of him. I've been on Jeff. He also Mar- knows the business. I, I've been Jeff done Jeff Merrick's show a ton of times. I respect the hell out of him. They both know that you know what like what drives their paychecks listens on their podcast. And what's going to do that if they're talking about trades and they look at Sean Walker, a guy who is exceeding expectations, is getting a ton of minutes in Philly, and he plays on a team that says they're rebuilding. And he's on an expiring contract with a cheap cap. And like, oh, of man. course, they're going to talk about him in December because they want people to listen. All right. <laughs> All right. We get the inside info here from Charlie. They're making shit up. That is not what he's saying. I'm just saying I'm that, not, that I'm not, I'm not. this trade will probably, if it goes down, will probably happen closer to the deadline. But people in the media We are going know, to talk about it for two months. We're going to talk about it for two and a half months because we know people care about these sorts of things more than pretty much anything else in hockey. There's nothing more fun than trades. Like, exactly. It's 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 like when you're a front office, you can sell two things, winning or hope. Trades represent hope. Sure. And potential winning. If you're making a trade, you're probably winning. Yeah. That's why you brought someone hope in. Hope and winning. Yeah, you get both right there. Yeah, right. And that shit's just one. fun. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, that's it for me. You have anything else, Charlie? Uh, no, I uh, think I'm good. All right. So I will uh, I will not be on the show tomorrow because I will be— or, no, We're off tomorrow. We're off tomorrow. Yeah. We're off tomorrow. But the rest of the week, I will be remote. So hopefully we figure out these technical issues and won't have a problem while I'm remote. It's going to be a good time <laughs> figuring this out. All right. That is all the time we have for you thank you for hanging out thanks for thanks for listening uh my name is bill matz for charlie o'connor see you thursday philly 